I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about two movies we watched and then talk about dads. Yeah. So this is the second Daddy Deep Dive episode that we're doing. We had so much fun the first time that we did it for the, our one of our new favorite films, After Sun. And we wanted to do something around the holidays and talk about one of our favorite holiday movies. And I think that it's going to become a staple of Daddy Deep Dives where, you know, we dive into some of our favorite movies. We get all spoilery about it. So that's your warning. We get really spoilery in this episode. But I feel like it's going to be a staple every time we do one of these that we need to have a guest. And who better than uh, a guest that is our first three-timer. <laughs> we'll have them on. <laughs> well, it's kind of tracking to be like every 20 episodes or ish. <laughs> <laughs> but we're back with host of Sick Boy and Turn Me On Podcast. Jeremy Saunders. Hello, friend. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love that this is the uh, third time I get to hang out with you guys and shoot the shit about movies. Yeah, it's so good. So much fun. Okay, so the the film that we're going to be covering is Gremlins, which we absolutely love. Before we get into that, though, when we reached out to Jeremy about doing this episode... He was, I mean, first of all, you're ecstatic to talk with us. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been just waiting. <laughs> and, and, to, and to deep dive on this. But the, it was, the fun caveat to it was just like, oh, yeah, love to talk about Gremlins. Can we also talk about this short film that I absolutely want you guys to see? That was my one stipulation. I was like, I will do it, but we <laughs> must cover one of, my, one of my favorite Christmas movies. Yes, and we, of course, we were totally game. So we'll we're gonna get into the we're gonna get into the the short first that we watched before we get into Gremlins. So what we watched was the 2008 short horror <laughs> horror comedy holiday movie, um, Treevenge. Great <laughs> title. Great title. Um, yeah. It was directed by Jason Eisner, written by him as well as Rob Cotterill. 
and it stars a whole slew of people that it just kind of jumps in and out of people. But uh, the two notable ones I have is Jonathan Torrens as Jim McMichael and Sarah Dunsworth as Cadence McMichael. Mm-hmm. In my notes, I just said starring trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the true I, heroes. I also want to give a shout out to uh, you've got you also have Molly Dunsworth. So another Dunsworth uh, daughter um, and, and Sarah and Molly just FYI, are the daughters of John Dunworth, the late John Dunsworth uh, from Trailer Park Boys, mm. who also, uh, both of those very talented young women are also sprinkled all throughout the Trailer Park Boys. So if you're a TPB fan, then uh, you might recognize them. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I love that. I've never seen Trailer Park Boys. No? It, it's pretty no. good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, I'm biased. I'm, it's from my hometown, but it is, it is, uh, it is good. Um, synopsis, and I mean, if you're not convinced to watch this after this synopsis, then <laughs> what? What the heck? Even Christmas trees ripped out of their forest plan revenge against people enjoying the holidays. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, this is some Canadian-made gold right here. I <laughs> I want to ask you, Jeremy, before we get into it, have you? No, first of all, how did you come across this? Okay, so a little bit of a story here. So Jason Eisner is he's hailed as one of the like the the cinematic greats that have come from uh Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh Jason is the director of uh Hobo with a Shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um and for anyone who's not familiar with Hobo with a Shotgun, that was uh his first feature film that he made. And the story of Hobo with a Shotgun, how that came to be was Jason got selected as one of um a couple of people who won a contest to shoot a short grindhouse style trailer uh, that would play at the very beginning of the film grindhouse, which was the double feature um, done by uh, Quentin Tarantino and um, Robert, Robert Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so Hobo with a Shotgun started as a, uh, a short trailer for, you know, um, uh, a fictional made up movie about a homeless man who um, basically is is like the Batman of a city and just starts blow, blasting away, you know, the baddies with a shotgun that he got from a, a pawn shop. And then uh, from the success of that trailer, people loved it as it played across theaters across, you know, North America. Um, Jason was given funding to make the feature-length film Hobo with a Shotgun, which is also just a really fun, fun time. And Jason made those movies with um, his good friend and producer, Rob Cotterell. Now, Rob Cotterell, also uh, an extremely successful producer from here in Halifax. He's produced such movies as uh, The Lighthouse, uh, mm. Possessor, mm. Um, also behind the, the new film uh, coming from, the, uh, from Brandon Cronenberg that's, mm. that the trailer just released. So the two of them are sort of this like super team. And all of this entire relationship stemmed from one of the earlier shorts that uh, Jason and Rob came together to make, which was Treevenge. Hmm. So when Treevenge came out, it, uh, I believe it premiered at Sundance um, and it was like the talk of the town. Um, there's a scene, we're, we're good with spoilers uh, yeah. with the Daddy Deep does. Okay, so there's a scene in Treevenge where um, a Christmas tree is lopping off the legs of uh, one of its victims. Um, but the tree has been decorated with like hardcore por- pornography. 
It's a very fast scene. I did not scene. notice that. <laughs> it's really quick. But if you pause it, you can see. But here, <laughs> the reason why I know why I know this, that it's covered in porno, because I, I you know, it goes by very quickly. Um, when, when the film got picked up by Sundance, I believe it was Sundance. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it was Sundance. Um, the Chronicle Herald, which is like Halifax's newspaper, put this big splash out basically saying like, local director, uh, you know, gets short film played at Sundance Film Festival. And they took a screen grab of the movie, which was oh, that, no. that <laughs> shot. And if you look closely, you can just see like full, full hardcore pornography just like on the newspaper. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, Treevenge. Um, I mean, I saw Treevenge probably... It might be two years after it came out um, when Jason sort of released it on Vimeo that you could just mm -hmm. go and download it. Anybody mm -hmm. can go watch it right now. It's on YouTube as well. Yeah, we'll post um, a link to it. And uh, as soon as I saw it, I mean, it, I immediately became a massive Jason Eisner fan, um, watched pretty much everything he did. And, uh, and just a little like side note uh, and like maybe like a humble brag, but... Um, a couple of years later, I was cast in VHS two Jason Eisner's segment of VHS two. Um, nice. That's awesome. Which is uh, it was called um, uh, what was the what was the name of the the short that we did Slumber Party Slumber Party Alien Slumber Party or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> um, that move that so that short also just got its uh, its world its worldwide release is coming in a couple of weeks. Um, Jason turned that movie into a feature-length film called Kids vs. Aliens, which also <laughs> premiered uh, this year at, at Sundance as well. Great title. Um, so for me, the, the history for me with this film is that uh, as soon as I saw it, it immediately became like my favorite Christmas movie that I would watch every single Christmas morning, every single year <laughs> from 2010 up until now. Like As soon as I woke up on Christmas morning, before I went over to my sister's house, where we typically spend Christmas, I would sit and watch it because nobody else is going to watch it with me. And, uh, and that's my, uh, that's my love letter to, to the, the absurd film that is Treevenge. I guess we totally didn't talk about that. It's Christmas right now, the day that this is dropping. So if you want to make that a tradition in your life, <laughs> yeah. Treevenge before yeah. you deal with the stuff with your family and the S people that you care about. Such a fucked up Christmas tradition. Uh, <laughs> Great though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How did uh? What did you what do you think of Treevenge, Kylie? Well, I I think it's very appropriate that we're doing this in tandem with Gremlins because my favorite Christmas stuff is Christmas slash horror put together. So I loved this. Like it at first, I was just like, okay, it's goofy, it's fun, cool, and then as soon as it got like extremely gory, <laughs> I was not expecting that. And I really liked it. Yeah. I, I love, I, I mean, just from the very beginning, it does such a great job of pitting the humans against the trees. Like it makes the humans so deplorable and despicable mm -hmm. through, through the, like through excessive swearing of all things, which is, <laughs> which is really great. And like just overly aggressive. And then they also make the, the, tr the trees are kind of like, they're kind of like the cartoon characters from Who Framed Roger Rabbit that get dipped, you know? Like, that's just kind of how they feel, like these innocent kind of little, these, these innocent victims. But it makes it all the much, all much better when, once they get their tree venge. Mm. 
it's yeah it's it's so great it's so it's so fun and i did not expect the level of practical gory horror that that came with this movie the whole i will never forget the the lady in the tramp <laughs> branch through the eye out the mouth into the <laughs> other eye out the yeah. other mouth and then pulling them together <laughs> like i don't even know how you think of that it's brilliant yeah it's you know, so it's, good. I they so I I went to see the screening of Christmas Bloody Christmas at uh, Propeller Brewery here in Halifax a couple of days ago, and they opened up the movie with Treevenge. Um, so so they screened Tree Treevenge, and and I took a video of that scene <laughs> and posted it to my Instagram story, mm-hmm. and it's so brutal. Like as soon as I posted, it, I went, mm, I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> I had so many people message me just going, "Whoa, dude! <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa!" My mother just said, oh, my gosh, Jeremy. She was, morti- she was mortified. That yeah. was the thing that I just was so taken with, though, is how gory it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like and like done, re- done really. Um, I mean, you know, again, throwing back to Jason's sort of claim to fame and and what kind of kickstarted his career as like a legitimate uh, horror filmmaker. Um, with a trailer that sat at the beginning of Grindhouse, mm-hmm. um, Treevenge could have could have easily like have have ha- have kind of done the exact same thing. Like, he could have he could have submitted a trailer for Treevenge and mm-hmm. have probably had uh, had the same kind of success. But it's uh, the movie is so it is such a Grindhouse type film. You know, it's like mm-hmm. run and gun, zero budget, um, like laughable, you know, practical effects. Um, and, and pushes it to a limit that almost like almost crosses a line that, you know, shouldn't be crossed, but the fact that it crosses it Mm -hmm. makes it that much better. Like, you know, the scene of the, of the, of the kiss is, is one, one example, but I mean, the one that sticks out for me is an infant getting its entire head exploded while a mother is just screaming, my baby, my baby. And uh, that's tr- what ends <laughs> the film, right? <laughs> that's it. That's, that's how the movie ends. That's how the movie ends. And it ends I in mean, such beautiful chaos. You know that nothing's off the table as soon as that like little girl is killed by the tree. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like right when she's like, because yeah. the dad's, I mean, you've seen it so many times, Jeremy, you probably know what he says, but something like, oh, I love her so much. He's like a admiring his daughter yeah. in her Christmas morning. And then the tree just like <laughs> fucking grabs her. And yeah. then she's all bloody and you're like, okay, well, we're killing kids right off the bat. Nothing's off the table. Yeah. Um, but even then I don't think you expect to see a baby's head exploded. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. The, the other thing that I, and, and I, I've never talked to Jason about this, but um, uh, next time I run into him, I, maybe I'll ask him, but, there's there's that grindhouse inspiration for sure, but there's also this segment um, where very early in the film where you're seeing the trees, you know it's Christmas time, all the trees are being lopped down, mm-hmm. and they're being dragged to these like these these uh, trucks to be like shipped off to this to the nearby city for folks to buy them, and. The way that Jason shot it, which I thought was so brilliant, like he he literally went to a an actual Christmas tree, um, you know, 
place mine. where you buy things. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, like not even buy, but like 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 the shipment of trees, right? So you're oh, seeing, yeah. you're lumber seeing these mills? massive trucks, yeah, like a lumber mill type thing, specifically for Christmas trees, and you're seeing hundreds of these trees being loaded onto these trucks. And there was like there was this slight, like part of me wonders how much of that, if he meant to make that look like something from like Schindler's List, you know, mm. that it it set the tone for like a really dark dark film you know and and, yeah. and the trees are they have these weird tree voices where they're like <laughs> yeah. you know he's like mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. it's very and, muppets uh, very muppets yeah but yeah. they're but but the but the <laughs> the the closed captioning of what the trees are saying are just like please like please don't like they're killing us they're killing us don't 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 let me go and they're grabbing onto each other's hands and like the babies <laughs> are being ripped oh, from the yeah. mothers and and it's like holy shit this is uh we're going down a real dark road here these poor trees. Yeah. It's, and yeah, it's done so well. Like I, that, that bit stuck with me too. Yeah. Just all of them being loaded into trucks and all of them being ripped apart. And it's just so funny when you kind of, and effective when you can anthropomorphize something that is like, would, has no reason to be living the way that we live, like mm-hmm. to, to mm. have these human characteristics to them. But there's just something, yeah, just so impactful where it was film it was filmed and set up so well that by the time the trees start tree venging, you're totally on board for it. You're like, Yeah, fuck oh, these yeah. people. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like I want to see Cut off their legs. Yeah. I just want to see them like wreck shop and it, it ends in like such a perfect way. It yeah, it's all justified. I love it. And it, as silly as it sounds there's been multiple times where I've watched that movie. And I mean, at this point I've seen that movie probably over like 15 times, but there's been multiple points where I've watched that film and I've thought to myself like, yeah, I think next year I'm getting a fake tree. Like Do you I, like I get, it, like, have a real tree. You get a real a, tree. I, I have a real tree. I, Jeremy, I, I, Jeremy, they're going to come for you. First. I know. I know. <laughs> fucking, I'm just towing a line here. <laughs> <laughs> what a hypocrite. <laughs> I've never had a real tree because my mom said it would light on fire and destroy our house. So fair, <laughs> yeah, fair. But what she should have been worried about is Treevenge. <laughs> That's right. When you watch, when you watch Treevenge, and do you after it's over, do you look over at your real Christmas tree and it just kind of have a moment of like, oh fuck? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I look over and I go, I'm so sorry. Why, why did I? Why did I? Why did I take you home and cover you in all these dumb ornaments? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was great. This was a this was a really great because we watched this leading up to to Gremlins, so it was like a really a really fun night for us. Um, mm. Before we before we move uh, on to Gremlins, I want to ask you guys how to tree how does tree revenge make you guys feel? Let's start with Kylie. Just gruesomely joyful. Nice. Yeah. Yes. That's a Jeremy. That's a perfect way of putting it. I, I'm I'm going to join you on that. I mean, I I think um, revenge films are. I, I'm. I feel pretty confident in saying that revenge films are like some of my favorite films of, of all time. Like when I think about Old Boy or I Saw the Devil, and they, they, it's always mm-hmm. it's always Korean revenge films. Like they're just the best. But like and also Home Alone. Yes. Yeah. Right. Totally. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I love revenge fil- films, and this this is up there. You know, it just it really mm-hmm. sits at the top for for me. Yeah. No, I'm I'm totally with you guys. Like this was like, I had so much fun and. It just, uh, it yeah, filled me with so much joy, Christmas joy and otherwise. <laughs> um, okay, let's 
Get talk in, about gremlins let's get into the so big, this was how we <laughs> picked gremlins we, we reached out to you jeremy and said like what are your three favorite christmas movies we really like a lot of elliot and i like a lot of christmas movies intensely and mm. watch um a handful every single year and so there was lots that we would have been on board with doing like a spoiler deep dive on but we wanted to make sure it was something that you were excited about so we just said, like, what are your three favorites? And then we'll see which of those align with our favorites. Mm. And then we'll pick from there. Um, and Gremlins was one that we all really like. I feel like Gremlins is a good pick, too, because we do have this overlap and this shared love of horror films. Yeah. So I feel like Gremlins kind of hits that sweet spot, much like Treevenge hits that kind of sweet spot for all of us. One day we'll mm. talk about a real horror film. All together. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we watched we watched Gremlins, nineteen eighty four comedy horror film, um, directed by Joe Dante and written by Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone. Mm-hmm. And it stars Zach Galligan as Billy, Phoebe Cates as Kate, Hoyt Axton as Randall, uh, Key Luke as the grandfather, Polly Holiday as Mrs. Deagle, and Francis Lee McCain as Lynn Peltzer, and then Howie Mandel did the voice of Gizmo. Which I didn't know until I sat down to like do the research on this film for the podcast. I didn't know Howie Mandel did the voice. Isn't that wild? Fucking it's deal or no deal himself. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. Especially because you really like that deal or no deal at Propeller Arcade. I do love deal or no deal, the, the arcade game. <laughs> and I'm, I'm quite good at it. <laughs> you are pretty good at it. This is true. Uh, the synopsis for Gremlins, if you've never seen it, you should go watch it right now. It's so good. A young man inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. That's great. I love that. Mm -hmm. Before we get into talking about it more specifically, I like to just ask, like, what's everybody's history with this film? Like, what is your journey with Gremlins? For me, I started watching this. I discovered it on my own. Like, and as we, the longer we've been doing the show together, the more I'm realizing I just, I would just sit down and watch shit by myself and not with like a toddler. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I started watching this in like late elementary, early junior high. I think it was, uh, it was on TV or something. And I just tuned in, like, okay, yeah, Gremlins, sure. Um, And I loved it. and then I, I think that I've watched it every Christmas since then because mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's just become kind of a, a Christmas staple. It's so fun. What about you, Jeremy? I only came into the the beauty that is Gremlins uh, within the last eight years. Oh, wow. Um, and, and as soon as I saw it, I don't know why. I don't know why it took me so long to see it. Um, but about eight years ago, I watched it. And as soon as I saw it, it became like easily one of my favorite Christmas films of all time, um, which, you know, it, it like bumped a Christmas story down a notch and mm. replaced it um, mm. for me up to that point. Like a Christmas story was my go-to. Um, I think, I think it was a Christmas story because it, it just held so much like nostalgia and it was like the thing that my family watched every year. Um, but, you know, and, and then having said that, uh, just recently, also just this year, watching um, uh, Black Christmas, which mm. was mm. done by the same guy that made a Christmas story, that mm-hmm. then bumped a Christmas story down one notch. So now it's like Gremlins, <laughs> a Black Christmas, and Christmas story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've only I, I only came into it about eight years ago, and it um, it it sort of saddened me 
because the movie filled me with this this feeling of nostalgia. Mm. And I I wish I had this movie in my my like repertoire of films mm. when I was a child because again we you know we had said that this technically falls under the genre of like horror um, and I feel because I because I love horror so much mm. as an adult that this movie would have been a really great film for me to watch as a kid to set me up for my love of horror going forward and, and my love of Christmas like. Halloween and Christmas are my two most favorite times of the year. And this movie is kind of blends both of those things together in such a perfect way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm glad to say that it's been with me for almost a decade, decade, but I'm, I'm so shocked that it's only been that amount of time. It's so cool. It's so cool when you could find something so late in life, but just, de- it just kind of, ha- you develop a nostalgia for it, even if it's something that's kind of brand new, like it totally. just kind of taps into that, that very core like monkey brain <laughs> part of you that just makes you feel really good and kind yeah. of shoots you back to when you're a kid. I love that. What about you, Kylie? What's your history with gremlins? I mean, my history with gremlins is exactly what you wish yours was, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in a family of four kids. And so unlike you, Elliot, I couldn't really watch things on my own because we had one TV and there was four of us that's, 10 years between the oldest and the youngest and we had to agree on things to watch. So when we decided we were going to do this, I was like, am I wrong in thinking I saw this when I was really, really young? Like considering some of the things that are in the film, like it's quite dark, it's quite violent. And there's some like reveals about Santa Claus, which we'll get into. Like, was I really watching this when I was as young as I think I was? So I sent a text in my family group chat and my oldest sister said, no, we were watching it when I was nine, which means I was four. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. So I've been watching this since I <laughs> was four years old. And it means my brother was um, like a newborn. Uh, so he wasn't really watching it. But we, yeah, I've basically been watching this as long as I have memory. Mm. Um, and with my family, like it was a staple for all of us. Interestingly, I'm the only one who really has gone on a horror journey. And like horror is one of my favorite things. It, it was one of my dad's. Um, and so we bonded a lot over that. But yeah, it was just a holiday staple for my family. And then I think a great intro to horror movies for me when I started kind of moving onto that path on my own. Can I can I ask at I mean, you know, for it's hard to remember anything that, that happened to <laughs> yeah. us while we were four, but to your recollection, do you recall what it felt like watching this movie at such a young age? Because like one of the things that I know about this film and this and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is like these two movies were basically credited for for the mm-hmm. MPAA to create a PG-13 rating because like the the movie a lot of people felt like the movie was too violent for it to have a PG rating mm-hmm. but like obviously not nearly violent enough to have an R rating so like you know one of the things that I've thought about when watching this movie especially this week when I watched it was I I can't wait to show my nephews this film mm-hmm. and and my nephews are 3 and 6 and I feel like the six-year-old, I could definitely get him to watch it. But the three-year-old, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe it'll be too scary for him. So, like, do you remember if this movie scared the pants off you? Or it if did. It, was it so definitely crisp- did. Yeah. But I liked that. Like, I loved that it scared me. And it's got such a beautiful balance of how absolutely lovably adorable Gizmo is. Yeah. To offset that 
incredible, chaotic, like hedonistic horror of the actual gremlins, I remember distinct scenes being really, really upsetting. And so interestingly, the one that always comes back to me is when the um, teacher is killed. Like right. that was the most upsetting scene to me. And in watching it now as an adult, I'm like, you actually don't really see anything. But it was like him, such a classic horror move. Just like we know he's going underneath the table. We yeah. know the gremlin is there and waiting for it to grab him. That was always one of the scenes that upset me the most. And then I think everything in the kitchen was like very with upsetting to me with the, like the blender and the microwave. Totally. And yeah. All of that, which interestingly, and like now that's the stuff that I'm like so excited and cheering about. And mm -hmm. I don't think I was upset that the gremlins were being killed, but the actual like tangible violence happening was like very visceral to me as a child. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and those, those kills, they're like, good. I'm always looking for good kills in a, in a, you know, movie like, you know, when I'm, when I'm watching John Wick, I'm watching for the kills. And so, yeah. you know, when I'm watching, when I'm watching Gremlins and that mom in that scene, like <laughs> those are great, like S tier kills in movie. Like it's just yeah. so good. But, but good point to like the scene in the classroom with the teacher, cause it's dark, right? There's not mm -hmm. a lot of light. Um, you have that, that sort of classic, like, like trope of, you know, there's, there's something under the bed, you know, like, mm -hmm. like that feeling of like somebody coming up from under the bed, grabbing your feet. Like when he puts his hand under there with the Snickers bar. <laughs> it is like it, that would scare the that would scare the poop out of me as a kid. Well, and, that, and then it's also coupled with the fact that like the projector turns back on, and it's all this like really yeah kind, kind of graphic imagery of like heart valves right, and stuff, yeah. like very like scientific, and it's it it's kind of loud and taking over the whole scene. Like it it just kind of takes the whole that whole scene kind of takes over your senses a little bit, just mm. adding to the creep factor. Of and that it. had to have been the one of the first, if not the first times that I saw that device of like, we know what's coming and are just waiting for it to happen. Mm. You know, like that, that moment in the adult horror films we watch now where like, you know, the killers behind the door and we're just like panning and getting and zooming and getting closer and closer and waiting for the moment that it jumps out at us. Mm. And like, you're just on edge waiting for that to happen. That had to have been one of my first experiences of that in a film. Mm -hmm. If I was four years old. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Too. And like, it's a good point too. thinking like if you're a young person watching it, you're as soon as Gizmo's on screen, you're in like, that's, that's your jam. It's like, especially a little kid. You like, there's no reason not to love Gizmo. Yeah. Gizmo's the OG Grogu. Like he's so it, yeah. cute. It's just that like they, they tapped into that cuteness so perfectly. Sorry I, to cut you off there. But I feel like Gizmo is also kind of the stand in for, yeah, for a child or or and that's what kids can relate to. Like mm. when Gizmo's upset, you're upset. Yeah. Because of and the he same gets stuff. scared. Like when he's like got his Gizmo's little pouty mouth and he's like, oh <laughs> But I think that Gizmo's a really great I don't know, kind of companion for kids through the movie, uh, as to like how to feel and and that it's okay to feel that way because Gizmo feels that way. I don't know. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I was I was looking up some like trivia about the movie, which there's so much amazing trivia yeah. in this film. It took me a long time to read it all. Um, <laughs> but one of the interesting ones was originally Stripe and Gizmo were the same character. I hate and that so much. I know. And they they um Steven Spielberg insisted that one of the gremlins be good um so that the audience could identify with that that gremlin so they mm -hmm. they made the switch and that's how gizmo came to stay 
Gizmo, which, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why the film was so successful. Yeah, Uh, I think if Gizmo had turned, I don't think it'd be as beloved from a childhood perspective. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and also, I think the message of the film is fundamentally gone too, which I don't want to get into that yet because I want to talk about it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's forge ahead and start start getting into some of the some of the things that we noticed about this movie, and I I, I think that we can get into maybe some characterization. At least I want to get into some characterization. <laughs> so I think that first off, I think across the board this has some really great 80s characterization. Like mm-hmm. that shit that oh, yeah. we really like. Like it's a, it's enough characterization for all of the characters to get who they are and what kind of people that they are without having to kind of beat you over the head with it. Like you, as soon as, sorry, as soon as Corey Feldman's on screen, you get what kind of kid he is. And Ooh. then as soon as Mrs. Deagle's on screen, you get that what kind of person she is. And as soon as Billy's on screen, you get that he's just the biggest fuck boy in the world. Uh, and, and yeah, and I just like, I just, I, I love that eighties characterization. Like, I mean, like it's, it stands the test of time. Look at something like stranger things or ET or the Goonies, like shit like that. Ooh, it just ooh. works. And, and people, and people love it. But um, yeah, I mean, if you guys are ready, I'm ready to just launch into the Billy of it all. Cause <laughs> tell us how you really feel. Billy is one of the most frustrating movie characters of all time for me. Yeah. He's like easily yeah. top 10 of like my most hated. You hate him. I hate Billy. He's, he's such a wiener. <laughs> he is a wiener. He's just clueless, ignorant, and just like fucking stupid. He's so <laughs> cute though. Like he's just such a cute <laughs> boy. Um, that, and, and also like, I thought he was a cute boy, and then I see him drinking at a bar, and I'm like, "Wait, how old is this fucking guy?" Like, <laughs> yeah, is that is he, he works he at a bank. Is he in high school? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> but that's such an interesting part of his character is he's this guy who works at a bank, so he should be an adult, and yet he hangs out with Corey Feldman, who's a child, right? Um, yeah, and his dad's buying him like puppy esque things for Christmas. Well, I think yeah. I think at one point lives in the attic. Phoebe Cates' character, Kate, says, I think she says that, no, 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 it's Judge Reinhold's character, says that he's 23. So, he's 23? Yeah. Wow. In 84? Okay. And uh, wow. when he's 25, he's going to have the bank manager's job. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of assuming that they all went to school together. So I'm assuming that all of them are around 23 because I like Billy still lives at home. I think that at one point he walks Kate home and Kate walks into a pretty nice place. So Mm. I feel like she probably also lives at home with definitely not her mom and dad. (laughs) Um, Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, they have to be over 21, right? Like, like, Oh, to be drinking. Yeah. Yeah, To be drinking in the States and for her to be working at a bar over 21 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Billy, he's like cutie pie for sure, Mm. but he's just, He's just so clueless and just, I mean, he breaks the three rules about having a mogwai in the first three days, if Which, not and the first not, two days. Yeah. And they're not that hard. Those rules are no. not that, that difficult. I, I, I feel like, um, and you know, I don't know if this is like a, a conscious choice, but like Billy really is just a product of his father, totally. you know, cause like, yeah. cause as much as Billy is a weenie, his dad is also just a complete doofus, you know? Oh, totally. Like, like, to the his dad doesn't really 
instill in him that these rules matter that much. He's just like, ah, there's three rules. Well, and after one of them is already kind of broken, after (laughs) they fucking take a flash (laughs) camera picture of Gizmo and Gizmo freaks out. He's like, oh, yeah, I got some things to tell you guys. Oh, yeah, right. There's rules. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, his dad is a total doink. Yeah. I I mean, his dad is a doink, but I also want to say this. There's something... And I think this is a testament to the performance. Um, uh, Hoyt Axton, he, he, he's as much of a doofus as he is. There's something so lovable about his, his character in that like he really is like a, a good-natured dad. You know, he's, he really loves his son. He loves mm-hmm. his wife. He, although, you know, and, and, they, and they sort of, they just kind of put up with his like hijinks. He's this... He's this sort of um, like really clumsy uh, in, inventor. None of his inventions are great, <laughs> um, but he he plays that character so well. And one of the things that I read was that um, every single one of his lines were fully improvised. And I think that really shines through. Like after mm-hmm. having read that, it made me think back to his performance. And there was his performance stands out. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's, he's one of the most, like from an actor's perspective, he's one of the most dialed in performers in, in the entire film. And, and to know that he improvised every single line, um, I think that's why he was so, so fun to watch, even mm-hmm. though you, you just want to wring his friggin' neck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think his son is just a total byproduct of his, his doofus dad. Yeah. I agree with that. When we were watching the film, I just, I found myself, my mind kind of wandering of like, what's, what's his history? I mean, like <laughs> they have a pretty nice house and it seems like Lynn, his mom, Billy's mom, uh, Rand's wife is just like a homemaker. Like she doesn't seem to have yeah. a, a nine to five job. So I'm, I've started like being like, okay, like maybe he wasn't always an inventor. Like maybe he was a repair person that <laughs> right, right. was like, no, Elliot I, came up with a whole backstory. Yeah, I, mean, so I want the, I want the Rand Peltzer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. behind the scenes, re, like real life story. I think he just came into some money. I, okay. Interesting. Cause I feel like he, he had one invention that hit and, and if you oh. have one invention that hits, you're, you're set for life. But the, here's another conversation like we were that. having. It's just like, I like that too, but like it seems like you said, all of his inventions like tend to eat shit eventually. It's yeah. just like if he just focused on one and just made that one thing really, really good. Yeah, like yeah. I the feel scene, like they'd the scene, be set. The scene with him at the table where he's like, they're having like a family meeting, and he's just testing out like seven different oh. products while they're talking (laughs) and they all just know they have to put up with it yeah it's so funny well and like the bathroom buddy like (laughs) the bathroom great name he so at the beginning of the movie he introduces the bathroom buddy with the toothbrush and it 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 misfires yeah doesn't work it'll come right up (laughs) but but the next time he's like i've made an improvement to the bathroom buddy and it wasn't fixing the toothpaste thing it was adding a shaver with shaving cream which has the exact same issue (laughs) yeah yeah i love that i like jeremy your backstory that he had an invention that worked because it's like he's he knows he can do it and he keeps trying to get back to that place of success. That's yeah, that's it. And I that's mean, really sad. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, think about it. Like, if you had one invention that hit, that got picked up by Walmart, I mean, oh, right yeah. there, you're, you're, uh, you're making bank. You know, that's, 
that's a life that's a lifetime's worth of income right there. The one thing that I that I <laughs> just to like keep harping on the dad for how how thoughtless and mm. um and sort of unaware he is. Um I looked up the official kill count for the movie and <laughs> you know by the end of the film really the dad is responsible for the loss of 530 lives gremlins included um uh wow i, I don't know where where the, the number came from but they they do note that there was uh 491 gremlins burned to death in an explosion caused by billy <laughs> so if you if you if you take that number and then add the rest of the the lives that were that were taken it's 500 it's over 500 well over 500 uh deaths and the and the father has no remorse has no, no there's like there's not even an ounce of like recognition that almost an entire town in New York or wherever it is just almost like fully collapsed due to his bumbling mistake um which just like really just goes to show like how much of a ding bat this guy is it's just like him and then like Billy's like, oh, I don't get to keep my mogwai anymore. Yeah, I just want to circle back to Billy for, for a second and just mention that I feel like Billy's most flickable moment in the whole movie is when it's after he, <laughs> it's after the gremlins have eaten after midnight and they're all in their in their pupil stage and uh he sees that the clock is unplugged or that it's, it's been the, the, the wire has been trimmed and uh, he looks at his mom and she's like, mom, what's going on here? What's going on here? <laughs> I don't understand. It's like, first of all, like, why would his mom know? And second, it's just like, wake up, dude. It's he, obvious. There were rules and you didn't meet them. You mm-hmm. broke them. Yeah. Not only did he, not only did he accidentally break them, but then he continued to break when he brings when he brings oh. uh, um, uh, Gizmo to the teacher, and and the other thing that really shocked me was like when Gizmo has the glass of water spilled on him by accident, he's like grimacing in pain, like it looks like the most painful thing in the world for him it's to shoot out really a bunch upsetting. of like cotton balls mm-hmm. out of his back. Yeah, and so he gets him to the teacher and he takes a little drop of water and just does it again. I'm like, dude. Did you not take into consideration that this is like just horrifying, horrifyingly painful for this little guy to poop out new gremlins every time you put water on them? It's just blatant disregard for the rules. That's right. He was yeah. told, don't get them wet. And it's just like, okay, let's just drip water on that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's disgusting. And then like also too, like after it happens, like his dad is immediately... Like Kylie was like, oh, like, isn't his dad like before the scene happens? Like, isn't his dad kind of like, oh, what the heck is this? But like, I'm like, no, he like looks for a way to capitalize. on Yeah, I think I specifically said, hey, well, at least they're not thinking they can sell these. And then you're like, no, they do. The the pelts are pet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like put them through pain. They just want to create a puppy mill of gizmos. Yeah. Gizmo doesn't deserve that. No, he's He's way better than, than Billy. Um. But uh, we were talking about Rand. I want to talk about Lynn Pelser just for a second because I feel like Lynn, she really stands up for me and stood up for me like on this particular watch as just mm. very complex in her subtlety. Mm. Like when she's in the kitchen and she's watching TV or 
um, when she's answering like the phone or uh, to like talk with Rand or when, even when she's talking with Billy, like it just seems like she has a million things going on in her brain and there's a lot of emotion behind her eyes, but it's all very subtle. Like it's mm-hmm. not really surface level. And again, I just like, I want the Peltzer backstory of like how mm. they got to where they're at. It, but I felt like she just played it really, really well. What was the actor? Francis, Francis Lee McCain. Like I, I felt that she, she just like gave that character a lot of depth. And then on top of that, she's a total fucking badass. And then in, in the kitchen scene where she's, she killed, she like ices like three of the five gremlins, which is incredible. So creatively. And yet, I mean the ways that, she, and, and on her, like on her toes the whole time. Yeah. Just like the, the, the moment that stuck out for me uh, in in the kitchen was how rapidly she just knew to shove that third gremlin into the microwave and yeah. just hit start. Like, yeah, no hesitation, none. It was just like she sees it, light goes off, and on like overhead, and boom, in in it goes. Slam the door, press the button. It was brilliant. I love it. She's the VIP for me in in this film. Like, I I think 100%. she was just the absolute best. Yeah, man. So yeah, she kills three of them in the kitchen, and then Billy comes home. <laughs> it, it was very like callback to Tree Venge with the with the one that was hiding in the tree and then trying <laughs> to strangle her <laughs> underneath the tree, and then Billy hits that one into the fire, and then Spike, of course, escapes. But um, no. did you know that she was in Scream? Uh, Francis Who is Lee she McCain? in Scream? She's uh, one of the teachers, uh, Miss Riley, Mrs. Riley. Huh. Oh. Which I, which I didn't know until uh, just now. So I'm gonna have to I go have back seen watch Scream, Scream so many times. Yeah. Oh, she no, she's um, if she's Mrs. Riley, she is Dewey and whatever her name is, mom. Oh yeah yeah yeah. She's the mom of Rose, Sydney's friend, Rose McGowan. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. The last character I wanted to talk about, who I thought was totally awesome, is the character of Kate. By mm-hmm. yeah. Cates. I, I just find her so so cool when I was a kid. Had such a crush on, <laughs> so on her in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um she just like I really like the way she she holds herself. Like she has no shame in her life path. Like she's working a second job at the bar and she like She and, doesn't stand for that dumb blonde guy. Like she's like, I'm not gonna pretend I like you. Yeah. Mm. I love I love that it's such a small moment, but I love that where Judge Reinhold is like trying to uh, like get her to come to his place or whatever. And she's just like, I'm busy. And then she picks a, a bit of that off of Billy's sh- shoulder. That's one of the best moments in the entire film. It's like so the, And guess that, what? That it was moment, improvised. No, really? really? Yeah. And then I guess Phoebe Kate said, because she had a lot more acting experience than Zach Galligan. And she said, always make sure you do something in a scene to like different, like to ta- to stand out. And that was what she, and then she like showed oh, him wow. by doing that. It's brilliant. And I it's mean, th- such a good moment. It's so good. It's it, that, that moment in the film. I remember the very first time I watched the film, I thought to myself, I want to find someone in my life <laughs> that will just pick something off of me right in front of someone who is openly flirting with them. <laughs> like that. It, it was just such a, like, it was just such a, like, wholesome, sweet gesture to show somebody else that you are who I am focused on. Mm-hmm. Not this like douchebag who's just like spouting a bunch of bull crap 
and mm-hmm. flaunting money in front of me. Like I'm focused on you because I think you are special. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it's su- such a beautiful moment. I love that that was improvised. And this is the thing for me that helps. And I, at least from my perspective to not totally hate Billy and Rand is Lynn and Kate. Like yeah. the way that mm. Lynn in these moments when Rand's inventions are going haywire or he's on the phone and he just mm-hmm. is like hoping that the convention goes well. And she's so sweet to him while rolling her eyes a little bit. It allows us to be like, yeah, he's a doofus, but a lovable doofus. Mm. And I think having mm-hmm. Kate and all her like complexity and empathy and like, she's a total badass in a different way from Lynn. The fact that she sees something special in Billy makes it hard to hate him completely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. I think that the, the lint off the shoulder moment for me between Lynn and Rand is when she's making coffee and it starts just like spewing the sludge into a cup. <laughs> it's just poop. It's just poop. Yeah. Like, it's just <laughs> it's diarrhea so juice. Yeah. And, uh, and she's just like holding back a laugh, but like, it's hard. It's, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard for her not to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they just share this moment where they kind of look at each other and he's just like, what's wrong with this? And they kind of yeah. have a chuckle. Like yeah. he, he also knows just like, man, it, this sucks. My invention. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I know I'm making my family deal with these inventions for all of this stuff. That's way easier with probably without my inventions. You just in use a regular coffee maker. Yeah. But like, it's just this very like kind of sweet moment between the mm. two of them that I, that I really like. The other part with Kate that, um, and, and this never fails to make, make me laugh harder than any moment that I laugh in the film. Every single time I watch it is when she tells the story about why she hates Christmas. <laughs> it is so absurd how dark that story is. Like it, it goes, it goes far beyond any level of darkness that was remotely required for that film. Like mm-hmm. to get, like you know, so so her character really despises Christmas, and Billy loves Christmas, and Billy's kind of like pushing her, like, "Hey, what? Like, why are you such? Why are you such a Grinch?" Yeah, and she she's like, "Well, because my dad tried to be Santa and fell through the chimney and broke his neck and died." And I like every time she tells that story, I'm just like, oh my God, who's who thought that that was necessary to put in the film? It's so <laughs> brilliantly dark and hilarious, but also so sad. Like it, it is it truly, is. there's, I don't think I've ever heard of a story that is sadder than that experience. Like it is just unbelievable. And they wanted to cut it out of the film. Um, uh, even Spielberg wanted it out of the film but he he was like well this isn't my movie so i will i'll, I'll trust i'll give dante the the you know yeah, he's like you, i mean you do you joe but like what the fuck what the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, yeah like going back to jeremy when you were saying like at what age do you show this to your nephews we've been wanting to show our niece gremlin since she was probably three or four and we thought we'd get in trouble for it because of that scene. And not yeah. because of how dark it is. I think a toddler probably wouldn't really get that. But because she says, that's how I found out Santa wasn't real. Right. Yeah. Right. And which, I'm like, oh, which, we'll get in so much trouble if yeah. we like spoil that by showing her this movie. Yeah. I mean, there is, there's something to be said about, you know, I, I mean, if you've got a kid that's smart enough, maybe they would pick up on it. But I feel like if I watched that as a child, I... I I feel like um you know it's like when you watch uh when you watch like um you know say Monsters Inc or or Shrek or like 
any of the staple children's films that did so well because not only are they mm. films made for children, but the, they're also films that are just chock full of humor that only adults will get. I feel like that's potentially one of those moments where it just wouldn't, it wouldn't really click. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the gravitas of the scenario wouldn't really, um, wouldn't really connect with a child. Like it, it's one of those things that could go over their head. But again, she very, she very blatantly says, I think, that, it, I think I you must out. be right though, because I've been, I started watching this when I was four right, and right. I don't remember this being how I found out Santa wasn't real. Right. It's, it's very the like lunch scene in Jurassic Park where they're talking about the ethics of Jurassic Yeah, honestly, probably as a four-year-old, I was just like, oh, her dad died, and I'm so focused on that because the rest of it kind of disappears. Yeah, yeah, because it is, it's, uh, again, uh, to, to, like, put myself in the the shoes of a a young mind watching that film, it's a moment in time in the film that that kids aren't being drawn to because it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a bland, boring, dialogue between two adults that like yeah. I wouldn't be listening to anyway if I was a kid you know in between um, all the great bar scenes with yes. the gremlins right yes what's great about that scene though is because yeah it same way I've seen this movie so many times I feel like every time I'm always just like holy shit because <laughs> it's <laughs> not just that her dad went down the chimney and died it's and they thought he was missing, and then the house was cold, so she turned on the fire, and that's when she smelled it. Yeah, oh, and God. they thought oh, it was a dead God. animal. Oh my God! Dude. Right, it's like it's so just dark. it goes on and on. <laughs> but so I love that the end of the scene. It's buttoned. We don't like. <laughs> it's kind of buttoned by Gizmo echoing the audience's reaction. Gizmo's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also makes Billy look like the total fuck he is because it's like mm. he's been so shitty to her about like, why don't you like Christmas? Why don't you like Christmas? And then it's like, oh, well, she has a very legitimate reason. Yeah. And I mean, even before she tells that story when she like goes on about like suicide rates at Christmas and she's like, well, some people are opening presents. Other people are opening their wrists. And I'm just like, Jesus. (laughs) That's the line. That's the line. Every time I hear that line, that's the line that makes me cackle, like cackle. So, so I think like, and not laugh like, cause haha, that's funny because it's really true. Like it's a very, it's a very, it's a very true line, but laugh because it's so dark, so dark in a movie up to that point that is like toes the line of like darkness but then that just tips it over like that's i think that's the line that makes this a a, a true horror movie yeah really, it, yeah. it really is absurd it's a it's a line that sticks yeah 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 but i think that that it's that it's a it's that line which is a part of a big reason that i love kate is that she's she's kind of <laughs> spicy and mm-hmm. she's just like willing to be 100 percent honest because like and and on top of everything we've talked about loving about Kate, it's you have to take into the fact that she also around the holidays is dealing with trauma in her past mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is having, you know, she's probably having to suppress or, you know, is confronted every Christmas with the fact that her dad disappeared and then they found him days later stuck in her chimney, fucking dead. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that she's like has it together and is as cool as she is, is just a, a, a testament to how awesome she is as a character. Mm. She's great. Yeah. I I also just in in terms of like you know parts of the movie that that stand out for me. There's there's two that really 
that I, I couldn't help but think about when I was watching it this time around, knowing that we were going to talk about it. And and it sort of it plays back into that 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 statement I made earlier about seeing this film as an adult, sort of giving the, me this feeling of nostalgia that I I didn't actually have. And I think a big part of that has to do with um, two things, which is the music mm-hmm. of the film, which is it's like the 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 soundtrack to this movie is phenomenal. You know mm-hmm. the 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 like the Gremlins, um, like the mischievous Gremlins music is something that is just like burned into my psyche, and it just mm-hmm. it just it just fills me with so much joy. Um. Funnily enough, well, while we were, I was watching it with my my partner Kira, and she used to compete in uh, gymnastics, and she was like, oh, "I, you know, I almost did a, a routine to this song," that is and I was amazing. like, "That would have been so cool." <laughs> oh my then she God. was like, "Yeah," but then but then they decided it'd be better if I if if I did it to like some song from Chicago, and I was like, "Oh God, what a what a letdown that is." Um, but the music, the music's amazing. But then the other thing that I really loved, and this is something that I, that I'm constantly searching for in, in film today, um, in particular when I watch horror, um, but the, the use of practical effects mm-hmm. and blended with the use of stop motion, um, they do it so well. Like, and, and those two, those two, uh, you know, special effects um used in film in tandem is it's it you know it it makes me think of like probably one of my favorite movies of all time which is the thing Mm -hmm. you know just like really well done special special effects using practical effects and and stop motion they they nail it in this film it's so great i think it's it's a huge part of why it still holds up yeah to to this day like on top of the story it seen all of these gremlins, especially like I feel like a showcase of that is probably the bar scene. Yes. Where we're kind of jumping from table to table in the bar and just seeing that the gremlins have different personalities. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like this very exaggerated version of, I, 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 I don't know, like the greed of America or of yeah. Western, the Western yeah, world. They're you know? just yeah. pure chaotic evil. Like they, <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, and a great, also a great setup for Gremlins too. You know, like I've, the, the, the personality. I've never seen Gremlins too. Oh my gosh! Okay, before you do, and this is for anybody out there who's seen Gremlins one but hasn't seen Gremlins two. Before you watch Gremlins two, you have to right before you start the movie, watch the Key and Peel sketch about Gremlins two. All I'll <laughs> that's all I'll say. I promise you, it will make the experience of watching Gremlins 2 100 times better. Perfect. It's absolutely hysterical and so bang on. It's so great. Have you seen Gremlins 2, Elliot? I saw it once, but like a long time it, ago. It is possible I saw it as a kid and I don't remember it. It's absurd. <laughs> it and I've is. heard Joe Dante talk about it. It's so absurd. So I know the gist, but yeah, I will have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing of just like something that I noticed uh, in the film is just I feel like the setting works really well. Like it Ooh. just because we have like this small town and it's during Christmas, it's just it feels very 
even though it's a whole town, it feels close circuit. Like it feels mm-hmm. like we're locked here and we can't get out of here. Like if anything ex- extends out of the town, then like shit's hitting the fan. The gremlins cannot leave this Ooh. town that we're in. And it, I feel like this film nails the Christmas vibe. Like I feel like there's a lot of movies set during Christmas. I mean, like I, I feel like the most infamous one is probably die hard that creates the biggest split of like is it a christmas movie or not a christmas movie mm. and i feel like this does a really good job of establishing establishing that this is during christmas it sets the vibe with the music and the the setting um this movie feels very cold like it feels like winter it feels cozy town. cold though yeah like like, like christmas right yeah but like in the Peltzer's house, they got the fire going. Yeah. And it's like dim lighting. Like it, they, they set the Christmas vibe very well in this movie. There's also so, there's something about the snow that really stuck out to me. Like, and it's very like 80s Christmas snow. Like, I don't know mm. if you noticed this, but uh, the scene where Billy's having the conversation with his neighbor about his car and, and mm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the neighbor, like slightly racist neighbor is just like harping on, on the goddamn foreign cars. Um, when he's when they're having that conversation, if you look at the if you look at at the uh, I think it's like a, a you know Volkswagen Bug or whatever mm-hmm. he's driving, the snow is so fake, <laughs> it's so plastered onto the car. There's no way you'd see out of the car at all. Even the tires, even the tires are f- covered in snow, and not just like the the wheel, like the front of the wheel, but like the entire tire to the back brim is just plastered in this <laughs> fake snow that somehow is like so effective in setting <laughs> yeah. the like the feel for like how cold it is you know like mm-hmm. it's just it's such a again again like one of those things that just makes the movie feel really nostalgic because you don't see that today like you know yeah. s- snow effects today are, are quite more much more realistic whereas the snow in this movie is just a, kind of absurd yeah like his car looks so cold like you don't want to get into it and then yeah. the fact that he has to walk to work every time i watch it i'm just like oh man he has to walk to work it's so cool but he walks with that <laughs> he walks with that perfectly trained buddy all the Aww. way off leash it's so great what oh. a good boy, he is fa- a good boy. one of my favorite another one of my favorite parts of the movie is when when gizmo is revealed he uh the dog just like just licks licks uh gizmo's ear just one little lip it's so cute it's so good i just have a great quote from joe dante that i think is so amazing so he said uh that there was a concern that audiences wouldn't buy the rules for the creatures and then he said quote one thing about movie audiences they plunk down their money and they really do want to be entertained and they really do want to have a good time and you really have to make a series of catastrophic mistakes to lose them this early in a picture it's <laughs> 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 so true right like we yeah. you want to be invested in the film so even though it's like hey wait how how does this how does this like min- eating after midnight thing work yeah seems very illogical it's just like nah you just you're in you're all in yeah, like it makes for a fun conversation after you've seen the the movie. Because yeah, like when I was looking things up, like that that's uh, the one of the biggest arguments about this is like, what does after midnight mean, and when does that lapse? Like, is mm. it as soon as the sun rises? Is it mm. at like how do you know? Yeah, those were some very ill defined rules that they were given. <laughs> yeah, they were okay. really loose. Yeah, uh, one of the one one little kind of tidbit. Um, 
Uh, and again, this kind of ties into the the effects of the film. One of the reasons for the no bright lights rule um, for the Gremlins was because um, Joe Dante could couldn't really navigate the the special effects for for the Gremlins and the puppets that well. And so, by keeping everything in the dark, this camouflaged the problems that were faced with using um, it, like animatronic and like puppets. Um, which is like a, a sort of like classic sci-fi trick in films is to set monsters or, you know, any puppetry in dark so that you can kind of get get by with the believability of it and not seeing the sort of wires and and, mm-hmm. and trickery behind the scenes, which I think is really, really neat. Like, you know, one of the three rules was basically made so that they could actually film the, the movie and and make it believable. <laughs> I love that. I, I just, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'm all for ingenuity, even if it, you know, in some cases might bust actual real life logic just to service better visuals in, totally. in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all here for that. They also, apparently they also, uh, the original idea, <laughs> this is so insane, but the original idea was to cast monkeys to play the gremlins. Um, <laughs> But they had to abandon that idea because the test monkey panicked when it had to wear a gremlin's mask. And no they were doubt. Like, oh, okay, screw this. Like we're doing puppets. We we can't <laughs> we can't put mask on a friggin' spider monkey because he'll just shit everywhere and loses loses mind. Yeah, I mean that's probably that's probably for the best too. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that just like would not stand up today. Of like, no, no, ethically these, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah all these totally. monkeys were forced uh, to be gremlins. A hundred percent. Oh, that's great. All right, the next thing that we like to talk about on our daddy deep dives are things that stuck with us um, from the film. Um, something that you know, kind of within the same. Uh, conversation that we were just having about about the rules something that was kind of <laughs> going through my mind this time around and i want your guys's opinion on it is so the pool the pool scene that happens when they're chasing Ooh. stripe and he jump and he dives in thus creating the like 400 plus new gremlins um this is so stupid <laughs> but it's just like so mogwais make other mogwais when they get wet so in this case stripe who's already a gremlin is he when he gets wet? Does he make up more gremlins, or does he make mogwais, which then need to be fed after midnight to turn no, into? No, he gremlins? just makes gremlins. That's Ooh. what I think. Jeremy, do you have a thought? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, <laughs> well, well, let's look at it this way: when Gizmo gets wet, he makes other mogwais. Okay, mm-hmm. and then those mogwais have to eat after midnight to become gremlins. Yeah. So when a gremlin gets wet, I would assume that it's making a gremlin. So you yeah. bypass the you bypass the eating because you're already a gremlin. That's but what if, I think. But if Stripe jumped into a pool of water as a kind of cute mogwai with a funny little mohawk, he's just gonna make a bunch more mischievous, naughty mogwais. Yeah, and not I think so. the not the bald semi-wet looking ugly scary gremlins yeah <laughs> yeah 
No, I, I knew I knew it was stupid when I asked it. I to ask. <laughs> it's something you've been wondering. That was never a question I yeah, had as a child. Yeah. I was just like, clearly, yeah, it's just gremlins make yeah. gremlins I and mean, mogwais make mogwais. It's definitely yeah. Occam's razor on that, but yeah. And I was also wondering. I mean, again, this might be just low hanging fruit, but like, can a, is there a condition of which a gremlin can turn back into a mogwai? Mm. Probably not. Because they have the whole like cocoon stage, so it'd be like a butterfly turning back into a caterpillar, <laughs> right? So that probably I don't think that can happen. I don't think that I'm can happen Google it. Can a butterfly turn back into a caterpillar? <laughs> <laughs> I literally worked that out out loud just <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does science say? Let's, let's find out. <laughs> can a butterfly turn into a caterpillar? Uh, I think the internet thinks I asked a stupid question because yeah, yeah. this is just all about. Oh, there Google. is a website. I don't think it's a very legit no, website. That'd but be wild. I, they definitely can't. I don't think. So no, a gremlin cannot turn back into a mogwai. Shame. <laughs> Those were the things that stuck with you. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, there's definitely uh, there's definitely it. other stuff, but that was like one thing that <laughs> I was like, hmm, yeah, I want to talk about this. I'm going to take that in a different direction. Please do. Um, we've talked about it already, but the thing that stuck with me as a kid and sticks with me now is the Phoebe Kate's dead dad stuff. Yeah. As a kid, I was really, I've always my whole life struggled with like supposed, like you're supposed to feel happy at Christmas and what if you don't? Mm -hmm. Right. And like, even now, like there's a part of me that loves Christmas and there's another part that like dreads the you know, responsibility to like put on a happy face for the family and like, what if you don't feel up for it and you just want to like go and be alone, but you're not supposed to like that kind of stuff. And I felt like that as a kid too. So as a kid, I really liked how Phoebe Kate's or the character of Kate gives permission to not have to be happy at Christmas. Yeah. That like, it's okay to not just love every aspect of it. It wasn't so much like, the awful story of her dad dying, but just this like, you don't have to be happy at Christmas and that's not abnormal. Like that really, really spoke to me as a kid. Now as an adult, I'm like, oh, dead dad stuff? My dad's dead. <laughs> and that's about as deep as it gets. But like, yeah. you know, the the thought of, okay, no, it does get deeper than that because my dad's birthday is December 11th and he Ooh. died on January 17th. So pretty much from the start of December to the end of January, I'm anticipating waves of grief, mm. right? Like I, I know when December starts that like as it gets closer and closer to his birthday, it's more and more likely that I'm going to start feeling pretty funky. Um, and some years his birthday hits me harder. Like last year he would have, uh, or two years ago, he would have turned 65 and that felt like a big deal, right? That he died at 55 and he would have been 65. That was last year, I think. Um, and some years the anniversary of his death hits a little bit harder. And then as a teacher, this is also a really tough time of the school year because we're, I, I teach diploma, or I know um, you don't have diplomas in Halifax, but I teach like the provincial exam courses. And so my students right after Christmas break, they're writing that exam within the week and and then oh, wow. I'm marking those exams and it's like about five to seven days, 8.30 to 4.30 where I'm just marking provincial exams. Um, and so I know this is my busy time of year, but I'm also anticipating this grief around my dad's death and around his birthday, but also like 
I do love Christmas and it's all just this big muddled thing together. And so I, even now as an adult, just so appreciate that this film allows that to be somebody's truth. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. It's a really, really great point. Um, uh, you know, the, the notion that like Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year mm-hmm. for everyone is something that it took me years to recognize that. And, um, because for myself and, and I, I think I speak for like probably a lot of people like Christmas is so wonderful. Like I really love Christmas, but it, it, it didn't take me, it, it took me until probably pretty like deep into my adult life that, that I, I realized that it isn't that way for a lot of people. Um, and so for a movie like this, uh, that, you know, came out in the eighties, like it is a really great example of that. You, you, you bring up a really, really good point. I think that's what I like even more broadly about the combination of horror and Christmas films, like horror comedy Christmas films Mm. is they balance that complicated feeling of like joy and terror and despair. And cause for me, it's not like, Oh, I hate Christmas or I love Christmas. It's like, it's not as easy as one or the other. Yeah. Like it's all of these things are kind of pulling on me as at the same time. And I felt that way as a kid too. And I love that this film honors both of those things. And kind of allows them to be muddled and complex. And at no point in this film is it like, oh, and by the end, Kate loves Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. that's not the journey. It's like just this was the experience of this Christmas. And that's, it is what it is, you know? Ooh. Yeah. But it almost sounds like your journey was a little bit like Billy's journey. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like the total like Christmas fuck boy. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. true. It's totally true. Like, yeah, that that mixing and like not to jump to another movie, but like thinking about the movie Krampus that came out, which mm. is like by no means my favorite movie, but it it it's fun and silly. Yeah. But it, it totally explores the difficulty of getting together with extended family during the holidays and yeah. how difficult that can be. Just to like manage each other's dynamics, your politics, whatever it may be. Um, and I feel like that that movie nails that really well, really well. And then, yeah, Gremlins, I think, does exactly what you're talking about, Kylie. Like, Ooh. I feel like it's all about that idea of like Phoebe Kate's giving everybody that, and anybody that watches this permission to not absolutely fall head over heels during the holidays with with the 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 what can be toxic positivity around Christmas. Well, I, yeah. I love and I know Elliot, you spoke about this already, like. Kate's just a very honest character. So even if it's not the depths of her story, right? Just this idea that we don't have to put on a a mask at Christmas because that's rep- what's required of us. Like this mm-hmm. is, I talked about this, I think in our Marcel the Shell episode, which is like episode 20 or something like that. But because my dad died on January 17th, Christmas, obviously we, he, he died suddenly. He had a heart attack. We didn't know this was going to happen. That Christmas was a really good Christmas. Mm. Um, and then after he died, I just kept thinking like Christmas was the last happy time. Like it was like the last time we got together before this terrible thing had happened. And so there's this like joy then in like the happy time, but then remembering it as the last happy time is really dark. And I I just love that her story gives space for that. 
Yeah. But you can be Billy too if you want. <laughs> Don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've brought us down from Elliot's Ken, Gremlins turn back into Mogwai's <laughs> from my dead dad stuff. Jeremy, what sticks with you in this movie? Um, well, I, I, I'm sad to say that what's, that's what stuck with me is kind of like falling back into, uh, a similar <laughs> place of, of what Elliot was, was talking about. One of the things Don't stuck, feel sad about I, that. One of the things that stuck with me was how funny it is that the gremlins have this like knack for finding objects, uh, to that, that cause harm, um, that seem to always be miniature like them. So like all the guns <laughs> were so many, the like the the even the, the chainsaw, um, the, like the chainsaw was like this little like dinky chainsaw that couldn't even cut through a bat over the span of like what felt like a minute and a half, um, <laughs> and the and and even the harpoon, like he had this little mini harpoon gun that was just so <laughs> small that he somehow found in in a sporting goods section, and then Gizmo, you know, Gizmo finds like. The Ken and Barbie doll Corvette that he can like <laughs> rip yeah. around it. And I was like, wow, these guys are, they really do have like a quite an innate ability to find objects that are very helpful for them, but also extraordinarily small, <laughs> like, and, and friendly size for, for their little statures. Um, yeah. Same with like the clothes too. Yes. Like, yeah. Like I, little miniature hats. Like they're all like, you know, the Christmas caroling. Uh, they were all dressed up in these like it, it had to. I mean, the, you know, that's like baby clothes. Like they're not they're not very big. Yeah. You know, I went a full, I went, a full size gremlin is what, like a foot and a half. Yeah. I went straight to the flash dance sequence with like the like leg warmers. <laughs> yeah, right, the leggings. Yeah, <laughs> Where'd you get those yeah, from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, yeah, that really stuck with me. <laughs> which, is, a, which is really silly. <laughs> do you guys have a favorite gremlin, like a favorite get up? I mean, I the the one that makes the the one that brings me the most joy is like the jazz gremlin, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like sitting there with his cigarette and his like little jazz hat. Um, but but I think I I as much as I love the cuteness of um, Gizmo, I really do love Stripe. Like I I think Stripe's just such a hilarious little um, evil character. Well, I think what's extra cool about stripe and this was something that i didn't really think about until this time is that all of the gremlins lose whatever fur or hair that they have when they transform into mm. when the mogwais transform into gremlins except for stripe got to That's keep right. his his stripe which is kind of sick it is sick yeah <laughs> yeah i wanted to ask you guys and maybe that maybe like this is in the research somewhere um or maybe i'm just a big idiot but i i'm curious like what if if any commentary is trying to be made using gremlins as a metaphor here i mean like uh, it's brought up multiple times about quote-unquote foreigners putting gremlins into their machinery um and like is it about western like western or specifically american greed or is it about the violence and mayhem that we're all capable of and we're all mogwise until we let our inner gremlins out like do you guys have any thoughts about what gremlins mean as a metaphor if not that's okay Ooh. i mean i i've i never thought about it until you just asked but i think the thing that maybe sticks out to me 
Um, and I feel like this might even have been like sort of, sort of touched on by the the owner of the the like little hidden Chinese market when he comes to take back the the Mogwai. Mm-hmm. But I think that there there could be some like could be a message here about how we as humans in general don't um we don't respect we don't respect the power of of wildlife mm-hmm. the way that we should so like you know when you see videos of like people driving through um like national parks and they pull over and they get out of their cars and they walk right up to a bison Mm. to like take a selfie yet they don't recognize the fact that that thing is like you know a thousand pounds and can crush you with like just the swipe of its neck and we just like we really don't give respect to like the power and the the um the the need to like give wildlife it, it the the res- the respect that it deserves, um, but I, I in saying that I don't think that's what this movie is going for. But that is one thing that it made me think about was like uh, you know what we you know we don't treat wildlife with the respect that it needs. Yeah, and, and sorry, I want to hear what you're thinking too, Kylie. But um, as you were saying that, Jeremy, like I was I was just thinking too, like about that whole idea of respect. And I mean, when Rand gives Billy gizmo and he's like billy's like what is this and he says it's mogwai and then he's like well and what's that and Rand says oh some chinese word mm-hmm. like it's just the disrespect to like not even think about that and and actually i just looked up what mogwai means mm. and it's a cantonese word meaning monster evil spirit devil devil or demon mm-hmm. so like already it's kind of it's it's built into the name of the creature of but he doesn't bother to learn what it means yeah, yeah i think that there's so I love to dig into these things and and see things in them that maybe aren't intentionally there by the filmmakers, but that we can read into them. I still think that's valuable. And I I definitely, Jeremy, I, I agree with everything you said. And then taking what you said as well, Elliot, this time watching it, because I've always kind of felt like it had something to say about humans, but particularly Western cultures, like individualist mindset and like screw the earth, screw animals. We Mm. like, we'll do what we want to do. Um, and I found it really interesting this time around paying attention to the difference between the grandfather and his grandson at the beginning of the film, because the grandson looks very Westernized, right? Right. He's wearing a ball cap. He's got Western clothing and he's the one that's like secretly sells gizmo. And just kind of very quickly and flippantly says the rules without impressing upon them, right? And grandfather, I think he's just listed as grandfather in the cast. Um, Even he says, you know, Gizmo is not for sale, like, or like Mogwai is not for sale, not Gizmo. Um, And then the line, like what grandfather says to the Peltzer family at the end is, you do with Mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts. You do not understand you are not ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like a pretty pointed thing to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. And if we go even beyond that to think about, um, I think through Kate's story, there's this idea of just 
ignorantly not considering others, right? Yeah. Like she's the one who says to Billy, like she's got this petition that she's doing to try and like make the pub a landmark so that it doesn't get stolen or not stolen. <laughs> I don't know why I said stolen, sold. Um, she's working there for free because he can't afford to hire a waitress. And like, you know, she's thinking about how other people feel at Christmas and she has this empathetic mindset. And I feel like there's an alignment between Kate and the character of grandfather in this idea of like seeing beyond yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so well, basically yeah. Gremlins is has the exact same takeaway as Avatar is what we're saying here. <laughs> I have also never the, seen Avatar. They're, they're the same movie. <laughs> is Gremlins better though? Um uh yeah, better than Avatar 1. Avatar 2, I got to say, I didn't give it, I didn't give a flying hoot about Avatar 1. Um Avatar 2, I was really I was really taken aback. So, so I, seeing it in IMAX was something else. Um, I think more so for the visual effects. But anyway, yeah. I mean, this is a full tangent, but I this is a really stinky poo poo attitude to have about it. But for something that's rated three point nine out of five on Letterboxd, for something that's only a three point nine, spending three hours with something that's a lot of time. It is. It the time went by really fast. Uh, I will say, and like I went yeah. to it very tired. Um, mm, but okay. really, really, it's not the story; it's the visuals. Like the visuals are just oh, so that holy, is not for me then. <laughs> holy smokes! <laughs> Visually stunning. Uh, story very predictable. So um, Gremlins is the way to go if you want. Oh yeah, Gremlins message. is the way to go. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I ha- I have a question uh for you guys be- before we wrap. But um, considering that you know we were talking earlier about how badass the mom is for her, uh, for her like John Wick style kills in the kitchen. Um, do you guys have a favorite kill in the movie? I think it's the blender. I think it's the microwave. I think mine is, uh, is the old lady being launched. Out oh, of her window. I love that. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. That's so good. I loved it as a it's kid. So good. But I also have to say, I love, and I think, having seen this when I was so young, this is really where my love for body horror started. Oh yeah. Is the like disintegration of oh. stripe at the end. Like it's gross. Even, and and even, good. even when, yeah. Even when he's, when he's a skeleton and the skeleton like deflates. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so, so good. It's so It's also good. very oogie boogie, which yeah. I also love and have grown up with nightmare before Christmas. So, mm-hmm. Oh, so good. There are a lot of really great kills in this film. Totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's so good. So good that Quentin Tarantino stole one for the climax of Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> Gremlins yeah, that, did it first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's to- I literally thought that last night where I went, I've seen this scene. <laughs> this is. Let's talk about the dad of it all. And we kind of already have a little bit, but maybe just to kind of put a nice button on it. So... Um, a question we asked is how is dad relevant to the film? And I feel like this film is just rife with dad stuff. I mean, all the stuff we talked about in regard to the Rand and Billy dynamic, and then even how that kind of translates into the Billy and Gizmo dynamic. Cause mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, Billy is kind of Gizmo's parent. Mm-hmm. And Gizmo's um, kind of Stripe's dad, just saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, and then, of course, Kate's dad dad trauma and ruining her relationship with Christmas. Like, I feel like the idea of dad is really relevant to this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, I think you already said it so wonderfully, but Billy is a product of his dad. Mm-hmm. And this film so... In, in a film that is, I don't think, intentionally trying to explore the dynamics of parenthood, it shows what happens when we aren't thoughtful in how we attempt to model being better for people who we are mentors for, right? Like Rand is a bumbling, unfocused, absent parent. Like he drops this mogwai off with his kid and then just like fucks off yeah, and like comes back and then he's like, oh, what? What's happening? And, you know, if we think of Billy as Gizmo's dad, he is just following in the same step footsteps as his father in terms of a parent he's he does care he does mean well just like rand does but he isn't responsible and he isn't careful and he isn't thoughtful and it's just this you can see this pattern continuing that this you know if if something doesn't come in to break that pattern it's just going to continue and continue and continue Mm. and that is kind of sad and heavy for such a fun light film Mm mm-hmm what do you think the dad character is in this? I think it's the dad. I think it's Rand. You think it's Rand? Yeah. Yeah. I said I went for I said unfortunately it's Billy. Okay. Just because I feel like he has the most to gain and learn about being a responsible dad. Mm. And to I think Jeremy, you said it at the beginning. By the end of it, it's like five hundred people died. Or five hundred Yeah, five hundred thirty, according to my calculation. Yeah, um, and Rand is kind of unfazed by it. Um, I mean, so is Billy to an extent, but um, I feel like Billy like takes away what the old man says at the very end, what grandfather says about responsibility, and who who knows if he takes that into Gremlins too? We will see. Um, but I feel like Billy has the most learning that happens, and like the most mm. learning about being responsible by the end of this. I guess even through his like conversations with Kate about like the seeing that not everybody sees the world the same way he does. And by the end, like what does it mean to care for and be responsible for something? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what the film helps us understand about the concept of dad is responsibility, Mm -hmm. consideration and being able to model what it means to be a good dad. I mean, I've talked in the show about, you know, after all the stuff came out, in my family about my dad having like essentially this kind of second life where he was having affairs and whatnot. But like, he was also the person I modeled what it was, what it meant to be a good, decent person and a good man in this world. Mm. Um, and to have that kind of ripped out from under me, I think that, you know, that it goes a long way to be a model parent and model what a good dad is. And that it doesn't need to be this perfect, perfect, um, spotless kind of individual but somebody that learns from their faults or learns from the things that they do and Mm. yeah and uh and and also be present for the ones that you love don't be flippant about it and don't kind of like dip in dip dip out just kind of at your convenience like it i feel like there's a little bit of that between billy and and rand but and and don't go down chimneys (laughs) not a good idea (laughs) yeah Jeremy, anything to add about dads? I mean, I think you guys nailed it. Um, you know, and when I when I look at this movie, like who 
for me who like I would nominate as the dad, um, it's it's the mom. Uh, you know, like she's oh, like the rad dad. Yeah, like it, yeah. like if there was a rad dad, it would be the mother. Um, you know, not to like play into like gender stereotypes, but like she's the protector of the home. Mm-hmm. She's the she's the one with like the calm, cool head. Um, she's the one that's you know kind, supportive. Um, uh, you know, unconditionally supportive, and um. I think she's like the the if 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 Billy had like saw her mom saw his mom as as the dad that he needed, then maybe he wouldn't be such a mm. a little ding dong. Yeah, and yep. she she's kind of having to deal with like the fuck ups of both her son and her husband throughout this film. That's right. Yeah, and to like still hold it together by the end. She's, yeah, she's the real MVP. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, last question before we wrap. What were you what were you guys carry with you away from Gremlins? I'm gonna go silly because I was gonna talk about you do not understand, you are not ready, but I feel like we covered that. So instead I'm gonna say that last year Elliot and I watched Gremlins for the first time with subtitles on. And we have subsequently watched it with subtitles on this year. Um and when you watch it with subtitles, you learn that the Gremlins very often say caca. So they'll be like <laughs> gizmo, caca. Um, and the best line is right before mm-hmm. I think it's Stripe like pulls the phone wires. He goes, "Phone home, caca." <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, it is so amazing and such a good like wink at Steven Spielberg and ET. So, mm. whenever we watch this movie in the last <laughs> year since we started watching it with subtitles, I am saying "caca" a lot as like a funny insult. I'll just be like. Snow, caca. Um, <laughs> I also will eternally carry the music with me because, like, yeah. that Gremlins theme just gets me so pumped. Yeah, yeah, so good. What about you, Jeremy? Uh, I think what I think what I'm gonna carry from this, and and again, this is not something that really came into my psyche until this year, uh, is just how how wonderful of a film that this this movie is to introduce a young person to horror mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it will be my go to um to to sh- to show anybody who is young in my life who i because you know what when i look at my nephews um i i hope that they become the individuals that they become and and I support everything that they decide to do in their lives, but it would break my heart if neither of them became fans of horror the way I am. And mm-hmm. I think this movie for me as an uncle is like the movie that I will use to nudge my nephews into their love of spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. And that's that that's yeah, I think that'll that'll stick with me for years is just remembering like, oh, you know what? There is a great movie that I because I, I, I don't know if I said this on the podcast in the past, but the, the you know, my introduction to horror was being forced to sit down and watch Alien in its entirety when I was like six by a babysitter, um, which which like <laughs> it's intense. I'm very lucky that I came out on the other end of that enjoying horror because mm-hmm. that could have really messed me up. And yeah. I think this is a, this is a much more. Uh, a much more approachable way of getting youth in, interested in horror. I love that. 
I think I, I totally echo everything that you both have just said. Um, yeah, the, the theme song, the, the seamless blending of horror and, and holiday movie and how it's, it can become this accessible horror movie for younger people. Um, the MVP that is the mom and gizmo. Um, (laughs) and I think the, Biggest thing that I'll always carry with me is my continued frustration with Billy Peltzer. <laughs> <laughs> you started yeah. it there and you're ending it there. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. This was so much fun, you guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad we got to do this. And it's um, I'm glad we got to get it in for the holidays, too. Like, what a it, it seems like such a weird pick, but having this conversation and deep diving on gremlins of all movies has been just a delight. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being our forever guest, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for just uh, continuing to allow me to, to to ramble on with you. This is so fun. <laughs> it is great. Uh, Jeremy, is there uh, anything you want to plug or where can people find you at? Sick Boy Podcast uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can find the podcast wherever you find your podcasts and uh, Turn Me On Podcast as well. Um, both podcasts are like my life and uh, <laughs> I, love, I love doing them both and... Uh, yeah, go tune in wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hell yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we drop new episodes of our regular show every Thursday. Uh, until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. We'll throw Jeremy's in there as well. He has a little letterbox where he loves logging Violent Night over and over again. <laughs> um And we would absolutely love you forever if you drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that is going to do it for these Mogwais this week. So until next time. Merry Christmas. And uh, I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 